Well, today we are going to focus on how to find peace in times of uncertainty. It seems like it might be a good topic for the year we just had, right? Um, and so in order to do that, we're actually going to focus on what the Bible says about our hearts today. Now, this was a bit of a challenging message for me because I am a thinker, not a feeler, and I studied every single verse in the Bible on the heart. But I do believe the Holy Spirit is here today and he has something for each one of us. And as I studied on what the Bible talks about with the heart, the one thing that it emphasizes is our spiritual health. Our spiritual hearts is what is going to bring us hope, peace, and joy if it is healthy. If our spiritual hearts are healthy, we have hope, peace, and joy in times of uncertainty, in times of great loss and deep pain. The condition of our hearts affects our entire being. It affects our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, and our spiritual health. In Proverbs 21, 19, it says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So whatever is going on inside of our hearts will be evident by how we perceive our life around us. Our hearts, the physical heart, is the most important organ in our body. From it flows the blood that brings us life, right? When our heart stops working, we stop working, right? Sometimes we forget about the importance of strengthening our physical hearts because we can't see it. It's out of sight, out of mind. And that's what happens to our spiritual hearts. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. We know exercise is good for our heart, but it takes time and energy and effort. We know oxygen is good for our heart, but sometimes with the anxiety and stress of life, it is hard to breathe. Peace, we know, is good for the heart, but sometimes fear and uncertainty overwhelm us and our hearts beat faster than they should. We must care about the physical condition of our hearts if we want to live a healthy life in the physical world. But we also need to care about our spiritual hearts so that we can live a deep, fulfilling life on this side of heaven. Here's the thing, though. If we don't realize the depth of our depravity, the depth of our de deception, the depth of the desires of our flesh that are growing in our hearts daily, then we will become very spiritually sick. So I hope today you did not just come for a beautiful women's brunch, but I'm actually inviting you to a surgery room here today. We're in the hospital of the God that created us, that knows your heart, that created you, that loves you no matter what deception is in your heart, no matter what you don't even want to admit is in your heart. And we need to believe that this surgery is gonna go good today. And this surgery is gonna be real. And it might be painful, but we know that if our Creator God is doing surgery on our hearts, it's because He loves us, He created us, and He wants us to find hope, healing, and peace. So that's what we're gonna do today. I'm sorry, I'm not a flowery speaker. I don't know why Debbie always invites me back. Because I come all five foot of me, and you gotta realize I've been locked up with COVID. So you get all of me today, okay? Um, all right, so God wants under, us to understand our hearts so badly. He has 850 verses on the heart. And yes, I read all of them. That's how much I love you guys, okay? 
It is in 59 books of the Bible. So God wants us to figure this out. We cannot put it on the back burner because Christmas is coming and COVID is here. We need our spiritual hearts on the front line right now. So I'm going to pray and we're going to go for it, okay? Heavenly Father, this is real. This is your time. This is your place. You are protecting this place. And we invite you right now to do surgery on our hearts because you are trustworthy and you are good and you want us to live a fulfilling, purpose-filled life no matter what circumstances we are in, no matter what circumstances we created or no matter what is happening to us. So be glorified, speak through me, and may you change, heal, and rectify hearts today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so our main passage, nothing about this is Christmas, okay, sorry. Okay, but, uh, but God gave me this message for you, never talked on it before, so if you hate it, please let me know so I don't speak on it again. Okay, we're doing Psalm 139, but not your typical women's group Psalm 139 conversation. The thing I like about Calvary Chapel is you go deep in the word. And, or if you don't, at least your pastor does, okay? So we're going to go deep in the word, and you're going to be okay with that. And we're going to be in Psalm 139, but if you have notes, I'm going to give you like 25, 50, I don't know. A lot of verses on the heart that you might want to look up later if you're taking notes, okay? So get ready, because God's word is what changes us, not Holly Melton, right? It is the Holy Spirit that changes you, and he does that by us going into the word and letting the word speak to our hearts. So we need to be teachable today and let the word of God speech, speak to our hearts. And so we're going to study this passage by King David. And I hope that you're going to see this psalm in a new light. And here are the three questions we're going to be answering today. One, what is true about God in Psalm 139? What is true about our hearts? And then finally, what next steps do we need to take to have peace-filled hearts? We want to leave here today believing, at least, that we can have peace-filled hearts. So Psalm 139, it starts in verse 1, and it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. What is true about God in verse 1? God perceives everything about us. Now, I like alliteration, so you're going to get a lot of P's in my talk today. And this first one is he perceives everything about us. So let's take that in for a moment. He has examined our hearts. Examined, if you look it up in the dictionary, means to inspect in detail, to determine something's nature or condition. So God is trying to determine our nature or condition. It means to investigate thoroughly. He knows everything about you. He knows your desires and dreams. He knows your worst nightmares and greatest fears. He knows your trauma that you have been through. He knows the abuse you've experienced. He knows your greatest joys and your deepest sorrows. He knows the steps of faith you've taken. He knows your greatest failure. He knows your personality, be it Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Strength Finders, or your spiritual gifts. He knows what you value in life and why. He knows your secret sins. He knows when you feel shame, doubt, or discouragement. He knows you better than you know yourself. Why? Because he created you, all of you. Interesting enough, God still examines our hearts as if he didn't know everything about us. Why? Because in God's perfect design, he did not plan for us to be born sinners. 
The first man and woman that God created chose to make their own decisions apart from what God commanded. And ever since then, every person who is born has a heart that is blemished with sin. Now, it's hard to imagine a newborn baby and not just see pure innocence. But you wait a week, right, mamas? Or you wait a month, and you start to see that even the heart of that newborn is full of selfishness, anger, and a demanding spirit, right? So what is true about our hearts? And I don't mean to begin our message as like a Debbie Downer. Oh, no offense, Debbie. I didn't mean to use your name in that way. But <laughs> here is how the Bible describes our hearts. Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the living, um, the living Bible says it this way. The heart is the most deceitful thing there is and desperately wicked. No one can really know how bad it is. And then, just to encourage you more, Genesis 6-5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Are you experiencing any wickedness in the earth right now? I kind of am, right? And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, every intention of our heart is only evil continually. This is pretty depressing news that I'm sure you didn't want to come here and hear today. It's quite sobering. Our hearts deceive us. Our hearts are wicked. Our thoughts are evil continually. The stark reality is something we must embrace if we are going to get the help we need to become spiritually healthy and find true peace. Just like a sick person, if you don't go to the doctor and acknowledge your sickness, you are not going to be able to get the help you need to get healthy. So today we're here to find out the reality of each of our individual hearts. God examines our hearts so that he can enter in to the broken parts of our lives so he can bring hope, healing, and peace. But we have to let him in. If you don't let him in, he's just a distant God. He's just a God you hear about at church. He's just a God you watch on TV because of COVID. Like, we will not experience hope, healing, and peace. And how does he do this? He does this by offering us his presence in a real, true, intimate relationship. His protection is provided for us. His peace, his plan for our lives. Here's the reality, though. If we don't acknowledge the current status of our hearts, we can't let him into those places. And they, we will not change. And we will not have hope and peace. So what is your heart feeling today? And I'm asking you that as a thinker. But I've had to figure out what my heart feels at times. Are you feeling troubled? Are you lacking joy? Are you consumed with fear and anxiety? Are you consumed by doubts and uncertainty? Listen to these verses that address our hearts when it comes to these specific emotions. Luke 24, 38, Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And in John 40, 14, 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It is not enough to believe there's a higher power. It is not enough to believe that there's just a God out there. Jesus says to have your hearts not be troubled. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in what was shared in that poem, that he is the prince, the king of peace. We can be troubled and doubt the goodness of God when we face a financial crisis, 
when there's a relational conflict, when there's a trauma or a life-altering illness. Yet, we see in these verses that Jesus knows the doubts that arise in our hearts, and he tells us to not let our hearts be troubled. So we have a way to control that. Do you see that? Do not let our hearts be troubled. By how? Believing in God the Father and Jesus Christ. We are to believe that he will help us when we are troubled. How do we know? Because God is good. God is in control. God has a plan. God is victorious in the end. God will hold us and walk us through anything if we invite him into what is troubling our hearts. But you must invite him. He is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into your deepest areas of pain and insecurity unless you invite him there. So do we go to God to help us carry the uncertainties in life? Or do we mull over them until we sit in hopelessness and despair? Some of us here today are controlled by the fear of others, fear for our safety or our children's safety, fear for what people might think of us, fear to go where God might be asking you to go because the risk seems too great. Well, this is what happened to the Israelites when they finally got to the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert. They spied out the land that they were going to conquer. And the people, it says, looked too strong and too powerful. With their eyes, the city seemed too great to overcome. And so here's what they said in Deuteronomy 1.28. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Here's the point. The Israelites, the chosen people of God, allowed fear to control them instead of faith to lead them. Do you hear that? We are God's people, and yet we allow fear to control us instead of faith to lead us. Our hearts are full. Are our hearts full of faith or are our hearts full of fear? Do our hearts trust God when there are great obstacles before us? When people intimidate us, do we shy away from what we believe God is asking us to do? Do we take a stand for injustice or something illegal that is happening? Are we willing to go share the gospel with people that are different than ourselves? Are we going to take spiritual ground for God's kingdom? This requires us to live by faith and to not live by fear. One thing I am most grateful for is my mother's faith. She spends time faithfully in the word and prayer daily. And I believe because of her constant relationship with the Lord, with Jesus Christ himself, that that gave her the faith to release me into God's hands when I told her I was going to be a missionary as a single woman. She trusted God when I moved to China for two years. She trusted God when I went to Cairo, Egypt during the revolution. She trusted God when I went to Yemen and had to be fully veiled to minister to the people there. Fear takes away your joy. Fear takes away your peace. You can't live out your purpose if you live in fear. So if we don't go to God with our fears, the joy of our hearts will cease too. Lamentations 5.15 says the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Let me tell you the context of this verse in Lamentations. We learn that our joy ceases 
because of their sin. Joy stops when we live in sin. We stop trusting God. That's a sin. Not trusting God is a sin. We doubt his goodness. That's a sin. Our hearts, we, we aren't willing to release control to him. That is a sin. Our hearts have become sick with worry and our eyes have grown dim to the joy of the Lord. But our joy can be renewed. In this passage, the people prayed for them to be restored to the Lord, to grow deeper in trust and relationship. And they asked for renewal in their hearts. God is a God of reconciliation, restoration, and renewal. But first, if you want that in your life, we must confess our sin of worry, lack of trust, and lack of faith. We must confess that first. We must repent, turn from our ways. Joy comes when we live in faith and trust that God is good and God is in control and that he will bring glory to his name. Because it's really not about us, is it? It is about bringing glory to his name. And when that is my focus, I will have joy. So if you feel consumed by worry, doubt, fear, God can change your heart. It is his desire to do so if you ask him to do it. God is the one who draws our hearts to him in a way that we want and are able to trust and obey. Be honest, God, I don't trust you right now, but I want to. God, I'm not obeying you right now, but I want to. Please come help me to be able to do that. He can change our hearts. And how does he do that? Here's what's so important. Yes, Jesus is who we worship, but he has given us the Holy Spirit inside every believer. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you who will give you greater faith, who will give you the ability to obey, to grow your trust for God if you ask the Holy Spirit to do that in your life. Look at what Acts 15, 8 through 9 says. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. We go to him by faith, ask the Holy Spirit to change us, and the Holy Spirit will. God will cleanse anyone's sin-filled heart by faith. When our hearts are cleansed by faith, that is how we receive the Holy Spirit. If you are here today and have never said, I don't know, I, I've heard of Jesus, I've heard the story, but I've never invited him personally in my life. Because when you do that, you don't just get salvation. You get God living inside of you to have the most purpose-filled, amazing life. Cleansing our hearts. When Jesus cleanses our hearts, we receive total forgiveness. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what's been done to you. Total forgiveness, extreme grace, and abundant mercy. And it's offered to anyone. Anyone here today. You are not here today as a mistake. You are here today here today to hear this message. It is when our hearts are cleansed by our sinful thoughts, our attitudes and actions, that then peace can rule, reign, take control of our hearts. And that's Christ's desire for us. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In this fallen world, Peace 
is not attainable until we allow Christ to rule in your heart. You might know Christ. Maybe you did say, I invited Jesus into my life, but he is not king of your life. You are not surrendered to him as, as a person that claims to be a follower of Jesus. Then you too will not have peace in your life. This means we are submitting our life to the ways Christ found in the Bible. The Bible is our authority. Christ is our king, and we must have our hearts fully committed to him if we want that internal peace. Peace comes when I know I am walking in his will. What is the will of God? Our sanctification, becoming more like him. When we obey and please him, we are in God's will. So let's continue. That's only verse one, guys. I know. See? Psalm 139, verse two. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Now, theologically speaking, God the Father, here's a big word, is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all the time. We are never far from God's presence, even though this poem might allude to that idea. We can feel distant from him, though, relationally and spiritually. No matter how distant we may feel, he still knows our every thought, and our thoughts come from what's inside our heart. They're connected. So look at what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Admittingly, not all of our thoughts toward others are loving or believing the best. Sometimes our hearts judge and condemn. What do we do about that? Again, we're to draw near to Christ by faith that he will cleanse our thoughts. Hebrews 10:22 says, "Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." And again, we see that when we ask him to change our thoughts and confess our sins to him, he will bring us peace in our minds and our hearts. Philippians 4:7, "And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard, protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the promise here is not only will he give you peace, he's going to protect your mind that often we allow to control us. Whatever we've been feeling, whatever we've been thinking that we know destroys our peace. So Psalm 139 goes on in verse 3. It says, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You see, God sees where we go, and he sees what we do. Psalm 33, 15 says, He fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Nothing we do is hidden from God. He knows how we spend our time, our talents, our treasure. Do we spend it on temporal things or eternal things? Do we travel expensive vacations for our own fun or do we travel the world to share Christ with others? Do we rest at home with TV and movies and check out or do we rest at home with his word to fill our hearts? Are we doing things that help us experience peace and actually give peace to others or are we doing things that actually are creating stress, anxiety, and laziness? Our hearts are comforted, listen to this, when we engage in his work. Our hearts are comforted when we engage in his 
work, which is engaging in sharing the hope and peace of the gospel with others. 2 Thessalonians 2.17 says, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Your heart is actually comforted when you're doing a good work toward others, when you're not thinking about yourself and you're not stuck in your own mind and what your mind is thinking. Now, I experienced this during the pandemic. I have had no major trial or trauma or tribulation come my way during this pandemic. I'm just helping my kids with online schooling, which is totally not my gifting, and it's honestly starting to bring me down. I literally wake up at 5 a.m., they're allowed to come down at 7, I have a quiet time, and then I get one hour to write a day. I don't even like to write, I write because I can't speak, right? So it's my way to get my messages out. And so during this pandemic, I literally have seven hours a week to write, right? 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., seven days a week. And so I said to the Lord, this is like the little boy that came before Jesus and says, well, all I have to feed people is my five bread and my two loaves. That's all I have. I can't go speak. This is my first time speaking in almost a year, right? I don't have this opportunity to go and teach people. So God started to give me opportunities. And he said, start to write, Holly. I want you to write, even though that's not your, your most favorite passion. Write what I put on your heart. And so during COVID, I wrote a book called Praying With Your Kids Before School to help parents engage prayerfully with their children before they start their day. I didn't even have time to get it published because school started, and so I just self-published it. But it started to go off, um, and three radio stations had me on. And then it was like no one could get the book because it was always, um, you know, that we had to keep publishing more. And I just couldn't believe how the Lord was blessing this one hour a day, seven hours a week, to now help thousands of families across the country figure out how to pray with their kids when their kids are starting a very unusual year in their schools. And then I said, well, what's next, Lord? What's next? And he goes, I'm going to allow you to start writing for the Bible app, which is you version. And probably young people know what that is. You know, and they do a lot of devotionals on there. And one of the Bible studies I have back there is on the will of God. Every single verse in the Bible on how do you know God's will for your life. And I was advised by my current pastor's wife, write devotionals because people like to read devotionals sometimes more than a deep Bible study. And so I wrote a devotional called Live in God's Will. And it, today it's been out three weeks. Okay, And all I did was say, okay, God, I got one hour a day. I'll keep working on this 15-day devotional, one hour a day, seven days a week, and I'll just give to you. I had no expectations. I had, I had no clue if God would use it, if it would go off well. Today, three weeks later, 4,000 people are reading this Bible study. And I'm a mom at home just kind of homeschooling my kids, right? But God's taking it because I'm saying, use me. I'm not going to let this pandemic get me down and be frustrated that I'm an extrovert teacher that can't see friends and can't teach, <laughs> right? What do you want to do? What's the new thing you want to do in this season to help me think about others and to do a good work for you. It's not about me, it's about what does God want to do with you. So let's move on and let's look at Psalm 139 verse four. It says, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You know, what we say matters. Are we building others up or are we tearing them down? Are we building bridges to the gospel or being a hypocrite with our words to non-believers? Whether we are verbal processors who think of, who learn how to have a, need to learn how to have a holy muzzle on our mouth, right? Or we're internal processors and we think about it first. 
God knows how our words affect others. When we invite him, when we invite the Holy Spirit into our conversations and ask him, please give me the words to say, I don't know what to say to this person. He's going to give us the words so we can bring peace and hope to others with our mouth instead of conflict, hurt, and confusion. These first four verses that we've covered show us that God perceives everything about us and he knows our hearts better than we do. But the second thing we learn in this psalm is God protects us. That's my next P word. God protects us. Psalm 139.5, it says, You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. God goes before us, knowing what is going to happen today, tomorrow, and next year. He goes behind us, showing his all-surrounding protection over our lives. But my favorite part is that he places his hands upon us, and he wants to give us a blessing. If we meditate on this often, that God places his hands on us, wants to give us a blessing, and we think about how he cares about us eternally, not just temporarily, the temporal cares of the world will fade away. Do you hear me? The temporal cares of this world will fade away. So often we're weighted down by the world and we tend to not run to the loving care of our Heavenly Father, but to other things like shopping, though that's a little harder now, but still on Amazon, right? I mean, um, social media, food, alcohol, sex, or other addictions. But Jesus warns us of this in Luke 21, 34. It says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man, who is Jesus. You guys, Jesus is coming back. Don't know when, but he is coming back. And we know he told us here that we need to be aware, we need to stay awake, and we need to pray for continual strength to make it through. Our temporal worries can be washed away when we know there is eternal safety, security, and blessing when we walk with Jesus. So here's the question we must ask ourselves: Are we focused on the temporal cares of this life? Or are we focused on the eternal? Are you focused on the temporal cares of this life or the eternal? God's promises are sure. He will keep his word. Now look at Joshua 23, 14. It confirms this. It says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Do our hearts really believe that God's promises toward us will come true? Do we believe he's a good God even when the worries of this world are all around us? King David wrote this psalm pondering these truths, and that's when he said, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Here's the third thing we learn about God in this psalm. He is always present. 
Psalm 139, 7 through 10. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. This shows us we cannot run from God. He is everywhere. But we also can't run away from death. Our earthly life will end at some point. And maybe that's something we don't like to think about, but death is inevitable, inevitable and we must prepare our hearts for that day. We do not need to fear death if we are followers of Jesus. No matter how long or how short our lives are, God will guide us into eternity and his strength will support us as we take our last breath on earth and our first breath of celestial air. How can we be certain? Because God has sealed every believer with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This can give us great peace, knowing that it's not about what we've done that enables us to be in God's presence for eternity. Our good deeds cannot secure our eternal destiny, and our bad deeds don't determine it either. It is our faith in Christ, his death for our sins, and his resurrection that enables us to have confidence that we know without a shadow of a doubt that when we take our first breath on the other side of eternity, it's going to be with Jesus. Our hearts may be wicked in the flesh, but that is why the Spirit comes in us and he seals us. Listen, our hearts do not determine our salvation. It's our faith in him that determines our salvation. And as a result, the Spirit secures us in a relationship with Jesus. And this takes away our shame and it gives us hope. We can know God loved us enough to send Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to die for us so that we can be forgiven all of our sins and have a relationship with him for eternity. Romans 5, 5 says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You can't experience God's love until you trust him with your heart. And the Holy Spirit comes in and the Holy Spirit allows you to experience God's love. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to start to transform the darkness in our hearts into the image of Christ. We cannot expect heart change without the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can't just become good on our own. And the Spirit is only inside those of us who know Christ. Psalm 139.11 says, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even if I did that, even in the darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Our sin makes us want to hide from God and others. We isolate, we condemn ourselves, we flee from God who can heal and forgive because we feel shame and guilt knowing we don't deserve the goodness of God. Yet even in our deepest sins, God is there and he sees everything. And because the Holy Spirit is inside us, his light can still shine brightly in the dark places if 
we draw near to him, confess our sin, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into the light of his presence. You know, in a group this big, some of us here are experiencing darkness, darkness of depression or of deep grief or sorrow. And it seems like joy will never come again. Tomorrow, we may still grieve. Christmas will be difficult to celebrate for some of us. Yet we have another promise given by Jesus in John 16, 22. It says, so also you have sorrow now. He's acknowledging we will have sorrow. I'm not promising you, you won't have sorrow. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. One day, we will no, no longer live in the darkness of sorrow or depression. We will see Jesus face to face, and our joy will return and remain. That is what we hope for. When we invite Jesus to comfort us in our pain, he will. Not only will he comfort us, our light will start to shine in the darkness to others, and we will have an impact. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm sure for some of you here today that maybe are wrestling with the darkness of depression, it feels unbearable. You don't know if you can live another day and if that's you today, I want to read over you the next part of this verse in Psalm 139 because God has a plan for you and he wants you to experience peace on this side of heaven. The fourth thing we're going to learn about God is that he made each of us his precious creation. You are precious. And he created you with a specific plan in mind. Psalm 139.13 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I'm sure our husbands, those of you that are married, are thankful we're so wonderfully complex. But hey, God made us that way. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in other seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. Even Matt's life, who she shared about, God knew the exact day that he would be with Jesus. Did you hear that last part? Every day of your life is already recorded in God's book. Every moment of your life was laid out before you took your first breath of earthly air. God's desire for you is to know for certain today that there is hope and that he has given you an incredible spiritual inheritance. Ephesians 1.18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Our inheritance is eternal. Don't worry about your inheritance on earth or if you're even going to get one or have one to leave your kids. Like our inheritance is eternal. His 
He is never ending with his love towards you. He outpours his mercy and grace. He has a faithful presence in your life and he has a glorifying plan for you. But part of his plan is for us to reach out to others who do not know him and be a part of seeing their lives changed for all eternity. That's scary though, isn't it? It's easy for a missionary to say that, but what will people think about us if we try to talk to them? What if they're offended? What if it affects our relationship? What if it feels awkward or uncomfortable? God doesn't want us to sit in a room full of fear to share about the amazing person of Jesus. He wants us to take steps of faith outside of our comfort zone because other people outside of this area need to hear the hope of the gospel from us. If talking to others about Jesus is intimidating for you or it increases your anxiety tenfold, then just know you are not alone. Okay, the disciples, they walked with Jesus for three years and they lived in fear. In fact, after Jesus was murdered, they hid in a room and didn't want to leave for fear that they would be tortured and killed for their faith. I mean, these were the most faithful followers of Jesus had fear. So you can be a faithful follower of Jesus and have fear, but we got to overcome that. We can't stay faithful followers of Jesus and live in that fear when it comes to sharing Jesus with others. And so what Jesus did in that moment of great fear, he just appeared in the room. He didn't knock. He didn't open the door. He kind of went through the wall. Voila, there he is. And he says to them in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. And then he reiterates it. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Only Jesus can give us peace by empowering us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who gives us the courage and the words to share Christ with others. We just need to ask him to empower us. And if we invite the Spirit to fill us, he will fill us with the peace to even go talk to somebody about Jesus. That is God's plan for us. But the reality is, is if we don't invite him in our life, or we don't invite the Holy Spirit who's in the Christian to then empower us, we will not have peace. But David said in Psalm 139, 17, how precious to me are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. When we remain in God's presence, we will experience his peace. King David knew that to remain in God's presence, we needed to come full circle. Here's the ending, ladies. We need to invite God to search our hearts and reveal to us anything that might be offending him or drawing us off the right path he has for us. We learned in verse one that God already searches our hearts and he knows everything about us. But in order, here's the clue, to be intimate with the God who knows us, we must ask him what he's discovered in his search of our hearts. God doesn't just, whoa, there's peace. Whoa, let me just throw some peace at you guys. You know, it's Christmas, let's have some peace. That's the least time to have peace for some reason. Isn't that weird? God doesn't just give us peace. God wants us, let it go by, let it go by, okay a big point don't want you to miss it see he's doing surgery isn't he guys 
God doesn't want to just give us peace. He wants us to intentionally pursue it. We cannot be passive. We need to intentionally pursue peace. Psalm 139.23 goes on. Here's the end of the, the verses. Search my heart, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that is offensive to you. And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. It goes full circle. He searches our hearts. Are we willing for him to reveal what's in our hearts and say, search me, heal me, help me, give me your peace. Because I want a true, real, intimate relationship with my loving creator who is willing to do loving surgery on my heart. Peace will only come with a real intimate, daily relationship with the Lord. When we want to know how we can change and become more like him, peace will come. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and then he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we have this deep intimacy, because we are drawing near to God, we don't just go to church, we don't just sing songs, Honestly, you don't even just open up your Bible and read it. You're wanting intimacy with a real person who really loves you. Then our hearts will rejoice no matter what is going on in our lives. Can I get an amen? We can rejoice no matter what is happening in our lives. First Chronicles 16.10, my last verse. Praise Jesus, right? Okay. Your Calvary Chapel. Okay. First Chronicles 16.10 says, glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Do you hear that? Your heart has to seek the Lord in order to rejoice. So this morning we answered three questions. What is true about God? What is true about our hearts? And then what's the next step we need to do to have peace-filled hearts? His plans are still to prosper us. He has not forgotten us. He is faithful forever, perfect in love. He is sovereign over us. Do you know that, God? If you don't know Jesus today, he is real. He's just not, a, not just a historical figure. He is real and present today. A lot has happened this year. A worldwide pandemic, economic challenges, isolation, loss of loved ones loss of jobs, loss of community and fellowship. But we can rejoice because we have not been forgotten. Our God is with us and our God will protect us. He will provide for us and give us peace. If you do not know Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray from the depths of your heart and he will come into your life today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you don't know Jesus, you can just say, Heavenly Father, and you can just pray it silently. Heavenly Father, thank you that you created me and you have a plan for my life. Thank you that even though I have a sin-filled heart, you have a solution. Thank you for sending Jesus, yes, as a baby, but thank you for sending Jesus to grow up live a perfect life and die on the cross. Jesus, today, I want you to be 
my Prince of Peace. Today, I want you to be my Savior. Today, I want to surrender my life to you, to choose to trust you by faith, to believe you are in control and I am not. Jesus, I surrender to you my sin. I surrender to you my insecurities. I surrender to you my shame. And I invite you into my life. Fill me, empower me, and seal me with your Holy Spirit so that I can have healing and hope and peace. And in Jesus' mighty, powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.